Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm joined on the podcast this week by Olivia Jackson to talk about her new book, Uncertain, a collective memoir of deconstructing faith. The book is published by SCM Press and available to buy from the Church Times bookshop. Olivia, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Can we start by, um, if you mind telling us a bit about yourself and how you became interested in this area of, of faith deconstruction? Yeah, I um, I got involved in broadly charismatic Anglican churches when I was about 14. Um, and that really became a huge part of my life and my framework for making choices it did give me a great community and some really good friendships at a time when I was profoundly shy and pretty unhappy at school. And after university, I joined a youth missions organization and I spent about 10 years overseas. Um, and I think by the end of that, looking back, I'd already started to ask some questions around my own faith, around what I'd been taught. And I think what I had seen being done in the name of a loving God, which was at times definitely not loving or kind. Uh, I continued to work for Christian organisations of various flavours when I first returned to the UK, and I think seeing a more diverse expression of faith and theology opened my eyes some more, and I think reading a broader selection of theological outlooks, studying New Testament Greek took me further, and then discovering a whole community of fellow questioners online and podcasts around deconstructions deconstruction really blew the whole thing open and this term deconstruction i mean is there a much like interested in the definition you use in the book i mean is there an agreed definition among scholars of this area well i mean there's the original sort of derrida philosophical definition and that's not quite uh what people mean when they talk about faith deconstruction um I think it's it's not everyone's chosen term either for the process that they go through, but it is the term that people are coalescing around at the moment. So that's what I've used in the book. The definition I've used is an intentional examination of one's core faith and beliefs, leading to a profound change in or even loss of that faith. And I've stressed that there's no right or wrong way to deconstruct or place to land if you even land anywhere at all. And and the book's based on these um, in interviews and and survey. Could you tell us a bit more about? I mean, were, were, were the respondents um, discovered through online communities and podcasts and things? Yeah, I put the survey onto a couple of Facebook groups where I knew people were discussing this kind of thing. So the people who responded, um, I'm not sure that it's difficult to tie tie down a complete type, but uh, they ranged from aged 18. I put a sort of cut off at 18 right up to their late 70s. Um, they came from quite a wide range of countries. Almost all of them came from broadly a sort of broadly evangelical background, uh, with a couple of um, couple of Seventh Day Adventists uh, and a wonderful former Danish Lutheran minister uh, and an ex-Catholic nun. Um, as well, but mostly broadly evangelical, uh, whether that was more conservative or more charismatic. And uh, their reasons for deconstruction ranged from, it was a real complex mix for everybody really, but um, they ranged from purely theological through to some really appalling abuse from churches. 
and and the format of the book I, I found interesting because you're, you're I mean you, you write but you also let people you 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 quote quite extensively and and let people speak I mean was that quite a deliberate format you chose it was I think one thing I found was that people felt that they had often been silenced their questions had not been welcomed um, their exploration of broader issues around faith or what they'd been taught was often shut down in churches. And a lot of people got to the end of an interview and said, you know, this is the first time I've been able to talk about this. This is the first time I've been able to tell my story. So I really wanted people's own voices to come through. Um, I didn't want this to be my sort of my own um, expounding on deconstruction. I mean, obviously it is to an extent, but I really wanted people people's participation to be a major factor. Just interested in the sort of different countries people came from, and it's quite a lot from the UK and the United States and, and other places. I mean, did you find any difference in the experiences, particularly, I mean, we associate a lot of evangelicalism with the, with the US, and there's been the sort of emerging church movement of, of post-evangelicals, and to some extent here, but I mean, were there any differences in the experiences in those particular countries? I think, I mean, obviously in the US, evangelicalism is, it's a much bigger bigger thing uh there are just far more people it's a much larger part of the of the broader culture and it, it sort of is a culture in in itself and that culture often gets exported to other countries so while the church set up in the uk or let's say new zealand is different to the us there are overlaps because you know, the us worship songs and sort of culture and Christian celebrities, they do tend to get exported. I think often Americans had had a far more, I suppose, hardcore experience um, because it's a much bigger, evangelicalism is a much bigger culture there. You can really surround yourself with that and and know very little else. Um, And a lot of the sort of the movements like purity culture have really come out of the US um, and been much more strictly enforced there. So I think um, for Americans, yeah, it tended to be that much more sort of all-encompassing experience, which people do experience here, but just probably not to the same extent in terms of things like homeschooling and um, and that sort of, you know, what what one person... Uh, Andrew, who was actually Seventh Day Adventist, he 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 referred to his upbringing as um as a wraparound Adventist experience, um, and I think a lot of people from evangelical backgrounds would would recognise that as well, particularly in the states. I found a sense in the book with with some res- interviewees and respondents that that I guess that wraparound experience made it all the more difficult to ask questions and to I mean to lead. Did you find some people spend a lot of time remaining in that faith community but wrestling with questions, but just being too scared to leave because their whole life was based around this. Yeah, I, and I think that was true across the board, actually, not just in the States. Um, not helped by the fact that there's often a narrative that anybody outside of this church community, this very particular brand of Christianity, um, is miserable and lonely and depressed, and any joy they think they feel is really just denial. And certainly, um, you know, lots of quite unpleasant things said about people who people who aren't Christians um, and a very narrow definition of what it means to be Christian and a lot of fear mongering about, well, you know, if you leave, you're on the slippery slope and you know where that ends up um, and quite vivid descriptions of hell. 
Americans particularly got, uh, you know, teenagers get taken to these what, what are called hell houses, uh, which is uh, sort of sort of a game, but sort of not um, yeah. a bit like a sort of horror house. Um, so and, and often, you know, very genuinely people's whole friendship groups, their family, et cetera, are in church. And that's incredibly difficult to leave. You know, as humans, we have a fundamental need to belong. And why would you leave? this very all-encompassing, cohesive community for, you you know, I don't know what out there. Uh, so I think people have found it really hard to leave communities. And, and this slippery slope argument, I mean, uh, obviously some people, I guess, leave faith altogether and become atheists or agnostics, but others might become, uh, you know, join other Christian traditions which express the faith differently. Yeah, I think that is a real mixture I think it it also depends how you're defining Christian, because certainly in the background I came from, where most people end up is not what I would have defined as Christian. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think obviously that's a, that's a much broader category than many of us were taught. And I think people tend to move from these very narrow frameworks, obviously, but um, many of them move into a more expansive expression of Christianity and many of them move right away from that as well. And I think especially where people have been profoundly hurt, they need to move away. You know, why stick around with the with the institution which traumatized you? So I think it is it's a real mixture. And, uh, you know, people on the whole retained some sense of a divine but many of them, yes, you know, there, there were certainly some atheists, pagans, um, many people whose expression of faith broadened out and they drew on other faith traditions, really learning from Judaism, Buddhism, etc. Um, in a in a yeah, in a broader exploration of what faith means, what belief, what um what an understanding of the world can be. And and you talked about how how difficult it was for, for people to leave and what, what's the world like out there I mean what, what sense did you get about how this affected people's relationships with with family and friends does it make things very difficult I think it does um in many cases I came across some people who said you know it's been fine um but I certainly came across other people who found that if they left church maybe churches where they had been involved heavily involved um for years and years decades perhaps suddenly they were effectively ghosted by people they'd been very close to. Um, one woman, Laura, in the US said that she had, you know, close friends say that they no longer trusted her around their children, um, which, you know, because they didn't like the way she was now parenting her own children, right. um, which is a horrific thing to have said to you. Others found that their relationships with their family um were really were strained um i had someone i had someone actually tell me you know he said can you can you not can you use my, a pseudonym because if my son finds out that i believe x y and z that i am lgbtq affirming then i won't be allowed to see my grandchildren wow. which was really you know it's very hard to hear that kind of thing and then a number of people who said that their marriages had really come under strain where where one spouse was deconstructing and the other wasn't. Um, and obviously that that has caused a, a profound amount of, of tension. You, you talk about the different experiences in places of, of women and men. In particular, you talked about purity culture. I just wanted to say a bit about how how that that culture about um, 
well, the purity culture and also ideas of theological ideas of headship and submission and marriage, um, how that affected, it seems to have affected women in particular, that sort of teaching. I think it does. I, I think it affects everybody, not just not just women. Um, but obviously a lot of the teaching is very undermining of of women. There's a lot of shaming of women, particularly um as they as they hit puberty and onwards. There were there were a few men who spoke about this as well, um, in terms of purity culture and constant shaming for having any kind of sexual thoughts whatsoever and actually very normal human physiological processes and a lot of um, repression of any kind of sexuality but for women particularly for girls and women they are very much shamed in terms of any you know any growing curves or anything else are very much pointed to as you know you mustn't cause the boys to stumble uh, I certainly remember being sort of very much dressed in in baggy clothes and and high neck tops and still that wasn't you know I was singled out and told that you know I needed to cover up more or whatever and I was a pretty shy and modestly dressed teenager but I think that you know I can I can laugh it off now but I think for a lot of people that causes prolonged damage a number of people told me that they found the early years of their marriage is very, very difficult because they've been promised this, you know, if you if you wait until marriage, it'll all be wonderful. And then they got married and found that actually, no, it wasn't wonderful. They still had profound levels of shame. There's a Canadian called Sheila Ray Gregoire, who has done a huge study, I think 20,000 North American women and discovered that women who grow up in particularly in evangelical backgrounds have twice the level of vaginismus as women in sort of non-religious backgrounds. And a lot of this comes down to shame and sexual repression. But then obviously on top of that, you have uh, sort of theologies around male headship and what women, you know, women's roles, etc. And that that is really in many ways very pernicious it really undermines women but also puts pressure on on men who perhaps don't want to lead and be ahead and everything else um and that's before you get to people who don't fit into stereotypical gender roles um you know forget being non-binary or gender fluid or trans in those in those sort of contexts it's just it's it's often very harshly seen or just denied that it's real at all and also think about the experience of, of of gay people in those contexts was was did that come through in your research that in in very conservative environments it was, it was very difficult i think yes anything around being lgbtq was very harshly treated that came up in almost all interviews people saying that um either they had direct personal experience of being treated badly because they were queer or they had seen others being treated badly and realized that actually this was not what they signed up for. This was not acceptable. Um, I think the church's treatment of LGBTQ plus people is a major factor in people's deconstruction. Uh, certainly I know sort of for myself starting to go, hang on, who's this actually hurting was, was definitely a starting point for me, but people really, people spoke a lot about, just um, a, a serious amount of pressure put on them to be straight and to act stereotypically straight. So yes, that was that was definitely a huge issue. 
was just noticed in the book, um, people talk about discovering that the Jesus they read about in the Gospels is not necessarily like the Jesus talked about or modelled in the churches they attend. So I just wondered to what extent deconstruction can also be about people seeing a dissonance between the Jesus they come to see in the Gospels and, and perhaps know personally and, and the Jesus modelled in, in churches, rather than that they're rejecting Jesus per se and, and the Christian faith. I think for some people that's true and for others it's not true. Again, it's it's very individual. I think deconstruction is more than simply going off church and sticking to the faith that you grew up with. Um, it's a complete reassessment of faith. And it seems perhaps as a huge generalization that the more controlling a church has been, the further people walk away from the core of their faith. And obviously that, that includes Jesus. I think where some people had discovered, for instance, the work of people like Marcus Borg, mm-hmm. um, a very different understanding of Jesus than they had been taught about, that maybe gave them the option to embrace that. And for others, Jesus is part of a whole package that they no longer adhere to, or they are too triggered to revisit. So it's it's very individual, I think. I was just wondering the pandemic affected people's deconstruction, just thinking when churches weren't meeting physically, did any find that space to question and perhaps to discover online communities where they could talk through some of their doubts and and reassess things? I think a lot of people mentioned the pandemic and for different reasons. Virtually nobody said that being out of church actually triggered their deconstruction. Most were already, if if they hadn't already been on that journey for quite a long time, if they weren't already out of church, it was um, the pandemic uh, gave them the break they needed to actually leave. And they were on the edge of that already um, or to find a new church. And for some, it was their church's response to the pandemic, which pushed them out, particularly in the States. So churches which re- were refusing to mask, which continued to meet or which were you know, preaching conspiracy theories from the pulpit. But of course, at the same time as the pandemic, there were other things going on. So obviously early on in the pandemic, there was the murder of George Floyd and various others and a lot of the discussion around that. And particularly in America, a church response to that or lack of response to that came up quite a lot, um, how churches responded or not to racial injustice. And then for Americans, again, what was going on politically at the time and particularly things around Trump and the Capitol riots on January the 6th, that was definitely a factor. So I think while the pandemic was was a thing, uh, there was a lot else going on as well, particularly in the States. Perhaps finally, just ask what, what you hope this book will sort of achieve. I mean, you, are you hoping it will start a conversation or, or help people who are deconstructing to find they're not alone? Or would you also help that, hope that leaders from some of the churches that people have left might read these stories and, and, and think about things? I think primarily I find a lot of people talk about the loneliness of deconstruction and feeling that they are the only one asking these questions and and often it can it can definitely seem like that when you're in a church where questions aren't welcome and so i wanted really to create something for people where they can read other people's stories and see other people going through this and struggling with it but also finding hope and thriving on the other end I think I wanted to create something where people can get a sense of solidarity. Uh, I'm not alone. You know, there are all these other people out there. Of course, there are spaces online where that's possible as well. But I think I, I wanted to really bring people's stories together in a sort of in a in a group like that to to show people, you know, you're not alone and 
it's going to be okay. This is an excerpt from Uncertain, a collective memoir of deconstructing faith from the chapter called Unoffendable. Ronnie from the USA. I was 10 years old. My brother, who is eight years my junior, was very ill in an intensive care unit. The pastor came in and looked at my folks and I was standing right there. And he said, someone in this family has committed some awful sin for God to visit this sort of judgment. I can remember it and take you to that spot today. I haven't said that in years and it takes my breath away just to say it. What happens when authority must be obeyed and overtly honoured? When criticism of leadership is met with, do not touch the Lord's anointed and you're not allowed to trust yourself. It's a setup for control, manipulation and abuse. The last few years have seen one evangelical abuse scandal after another on various continents with survivors having been historically silenced, dismissed, disbelieved and blamed, further isolating them. Accusations are deemed Satan's attack on anointed leaders or on God's work. It's as though if you just slap a holiness sticker on it, you never actually have to investigate it and leaders must always be trusted above those claiming abuse. Anything is justifiable if you're doing God's work. For listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.